1: In these times
2: of particularly great and widespread evil, it can be all too easy to become discouraged, even to Christian believers. Today, we're going to discuss an amazing global prison ministry, you are going to be amazed, that shows how even persons who have done great wrong can find peace, redemption, and even become leaders for good through the ministry of Jesus Christ. I'm going to start by reading a beautiful scripture. It's from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor.
3: That is a beautiful scripture about how Christ transforms our lives, even though we have done great wrong and he frees the captives. Dr. David Walden today, who is our guest, is known to many around the Western Hemisphere affectionately as Chappie Dave. Dr. Walden Chappie is the founder and president of Missions on the Edge, or Moat, Inc., a prison ministry where he and his helpers go inside prisons in Mexico, in the Dominican Republic, in Puerto Rico, in Panama, and Chile, some very dark places where people have done wrong, it's true, uh, but he goes and he starts Bible studies and he starts worship services. A little of the background, Dr. Walden became an ordained minister of Calvary Chapel Poway and of the Baptist General Conference through LifeBridge Church of San Diego in 2005. He's a graduate of Bethel University and seminary in San Diego. He has a master's in divinity and a doctor of ministry in global contextual studies, and he's a faculty associate at Bethel Seminary in that department. When I first met him, Dr. Walden was serving as the Senior Director of Pastoral Care for Palomar Pomerado Health Systems. He was acting as a chaplain in this large health system, the hospitals. His sister, Michelle, and I are very good friends. We play music together, and we were playing music in the hospital. And it's been our privilege, Brian and I, to have known Chappie a long time, and we've seen his ministries grow and prosper, and it's just been amazing to hear some of his stories. One of the main things Chappie does is, as he trains pastors to be leaders with his practical theology education series for Bethel University and Universidad Nacional Evangelica in the Dominican Republic. He conducts conferences and workshops where Moat volunteers collaborate with the local Christian leaders and business people in those countries. And Chappie even sometimes meets with heads of state, presidents, cabinet members, and others in authority because his prison ministry programs are so effective in reforming prisoners and turning around their lives by bringing the light of Christ into their lives. Dr. Walden is married to his beloved wife, Sandy, and has two children and seven grandchildren. Chappie, are you there?
4: I am, and that was just as great.
3: Yes, welcome. We're really glad to hear you there. There's so much to talk about. Let's start out with your personal story, though. It is fascinating, and Brian and I have been able to read your book. It's a best-selling autobiography, Wipe Out, A True Story of Winning. It's a story of, and a testimony of how you were in this glamorous, high-flying life as a surfer, a businessman making all kinds of money, and a movie producer in Hollywood. But God just reached down into your life and changed it. We are very yeah. interested to hear your story.
4: Well, God works in mysterious
3: ways, doesn't He? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, You didn't expect well. to, to have that happen, did you?
4: Well, you know, it's interesting, and I thank you for having me and uh, allowing me to share my testimony Again, thank you all you who are listening. Uh, bless you and have a great day today. I just want to begin from the beginning. Basically, I was smacked on the butt, made my voice known, arrived in San Diego Mercy Hospital, March 27, 1949. I loved life, uh, sports, football, track and field, and surfing. Uh, my 60th year now, long boards only.
3: <laughs> I've had the
4: great, great, great coaches, and I've had great mentors in my life. I do like winning, uh, not for the applause, but for the challenge. Uh, I won a few gold medals in my time. I, I promoted and trained the United States Speedway racing team that won the world championship back in 1980 in Uliva, Sweden. I also raced off-road racing cars and won the championship in 1981. Uh, you know, I, I like winning. I like sports and, and going for it.
0: My yeah. business background,
4: uh, my business education started early <clears throat> at about age 14, right? My grandfather, Pop, who was my mentor, hmm. he taught me to lead, uh, to take risks uh, that were measurable. A, he was a successful business owner there in, in Escondido and finances and accounting. So at 21, I started my own businesses in Southern California uh, during the 70s and 80s. One of my companies, my first company actually grew into seven different companies. Oh, wow. uh, one of my companies, Orange County Tax and Financial uh, Services, had over 3,500 clients. I was the Whoa. president and executive producer of four away sports productions. And one of our films, Honoring 72, was nominated for the best doctor Drama in 1981. And, you know, again, I want to humbly, you know, this is boasting in the Lord here, but, you know, I was Executive Magazine Entrepreneur of the Year in 1980 in the July edition. So at 34, life was very good, doing well. However, you know how God works. Uh, 1982, a jealous employee spread rumors that caught the ear of a local paper, the business section. It writes a questionable story. A young investigator wants to make good. He made a case to arrest me. It made national news. Bail was set at $1 million, although two days later it was reduced to zero. I'm not running mm-hmm. anywhere. So I go home and prepare my case, right? My family was staying uh, with relatives out of town at the time. On that day, I was released and alone. I did not know the Lord. I was a churchgoer. I went home on February 5, 1983, grabbed my 357 Magnum, humiliated, overwhelmed, inner voices saying, kill yourself, do it, do it. My finger was on the trigger, ready. It's over. Boom. But God, an audible voice penetrated my being. Put the gun down. Brian, Kathleen, my friends out there who are listening, there was no one in my house. There was no one in my yard. The voice said, put the gun down, go to the Bible. I did.
1: Mm. I opened
4: to John 316 because I watched football and watched those people carry those signs, right? For God so loved, right? That's why I turned to 316. I broke down. I wept. I lamented. His voice said, I love you. Really? Wow. Put the gun down. From that day forward, I ate the Bible. The jury verdict came down 16 months later. The hand of God was on my Christian legal counsel. Our team meticulously prepared all the documents. Integrity is going and doing the right thing when no one is watching. It was a, thing, a motto that my grandfather taught me. The jury found me not guilty. All of my corporations, the financial legal books were in order. No missing money. In fact, I was owed money. We, owe, we won the case. But God, he knows the plan that he has for us. <laughs> the judge, not the jury, the judge ruled separately on a technicality, a difference of legal opinion. Not a crime that puts a client in jail, at least up until my case. As a result of the high profile in the media, I went to state prison. I went to Chino State Prison for 16 months. Uh, We appealed to the 4th District Appellate Court. The court reversed the ruling in 1986 after I served my sentence. The high court sent me an apology letter like it never happened. Bottom line, God rescued me. He needed me to be stripped of everything. His plan for my life was and is to be his ambassador for his good purpose. Go back to school, is what he was telling me. And I'm going, by the Lord, I'm 38 years old. I have <laughs> business degrees. Come on. But right? God had a different model in mind. <laughs> yeah. Sandy and I chose not to sue the city of Orange for what was a clear case of misjustice. Yeah. We heard the word, follow me. That was in October of 1986. I went back to school, our Savior has more than honored our decision to reject the money, and I returned to school, earned my bachelor's in biblical theology, and my master's in divinity, my doctorate in organizational systems, and the Lord combined the theological with my business experience, right? So, which was a solid foundation for the formation of our international ministry for remote missions. Now it's in its 25th year, we know that success is measured by how high you bounce after you fall, Right. as General, as General George Patton would say. So he sent me to prison so that I could be his voice, to teach and equip leaders, to exalt Jesus Christ through relational evangelism, reaching those living on
0: the edge.
2: Isn't it amazing how—I'm going I'm to interject for a second, Chad, because I want to have enough time to talk about your ministry here. Amen. It, Amen. It's Amen. so amazing how God works in our lives and turns us around, and your story is more dramatic than some. Let's talk about how Mission's on the Edge. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that came about. I know it's more a continuation of your story, but— and how, how that developed.
4: Yep. In 1993, me and my buddy, Big Leroy Headley from Strong Power Men's Rehab downtown San Diego. Right, serving We were serving and sharing down on 13th and Broadway. Uh, men coming out of jail, strung out. That was the seed God planted. Uh, me and Big Leroy, 400 pounds of pure love of Jesus. We just connected. We had 18 guys in our halfway house. Uh, my motto for the men was dirty hands make for clean minds. No time to think about drugs, women, and stealing. Nope. Busy doing and studying in the Word and working. So Leroy, who loved to eat, made connections with bakeries and markets two or three days a week to pick up bread. The guys would pick up the bread, and we had orphanages down in, in Tijuana that would come to our house and pick up the food. Well, hmm. one, of those, one of those directors invited Sandy and I to go visit their home and see their orphanage, which we did in 1994. We met them. We went to the orphanage. On the way to their home, they made a stop at a prison to drop some food off, right? That was La Mesa Prison there in Tijuana. Well, entry is difficult, but this Hispanic pastor, who's an orphanage director, was well-respected, so we entered and let us as, as guests go in with him. We entered into what is called modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah. That is what it was. Men and women combined together, 6,000 plus inmates in a city out of control, you know, eyes wide open and a whole new meaning, right? We dropped off the food, visited several men, makeshift churches inside the prison chaos for about 45 minutes to an hour. I came out of that front gate, I was taken back to my day when I had, along with the other men that arrived with me at Chino State Prison, standing on the back dock, is what was going through my mind, right? On this back deck, stripped naked. They stripped you naked, and they hose you down, and the guards scream into your face, you are property of the state of California. That's running through my mind, right? As I walked out on the Mesa Prison in Tijuana, all that I could say to the pastor who spoke English, oh my God, are there Americans inside this hellhole? Yes, hundreds of men and women. I asked the pastor, is anybody caring for them? He said, no. Oh, my God. My heart broke as I remembered being alone in Chino Prison. So I went back two weeks later, back to Mexico. Wednesday afternoon was the only time I had open. I, I went in, no permission. I just knew I needed to be there. I did seven prayer laps around the wall. I stood out front of the front gate, right? Stood there for a couple of hours. I had my blue clergy shirt with a little collar, my chaplain attire, right? And the guard tapped me on the shoulder and says, he gives me permission to go in. I found one American, guy's name was Jay. He and I talked.
2: What What? What, what a miracle. Uh, we're, we're, we're coming up to the break, Chappie, but that's okay, because right after the break we're going to continue yep. this amazing exactly. story from Chappie's prison ministry. And then we're also going to talk, if we have time, your ideas on worship in these COVID times. Thanks.
1: Great time. <laughs> There is more Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Still to come on K-Praise. God loves San Diego. This is K-Praise, a service of Salem Media Group. Welcome back to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Now, here are your hosts, Kathleen and Brian Milanakis on K-Praise.
3: We are back with Dr. Chappie Dave Walden, founder and head of Moat, Missions on the Edge, a fantastic, amazing prison ministry. He's been telling us about his personal story. He's been telling us about his ministry, about going into prisons. I wonder if you've been afraid going into these dark places, Chappie, and, and tell us one more inspirational story from your ministry.
4: Well, you know, one thing we can assure, you know, there's no easy way to say, oh, I wasn't afraid. Of course I was. You know, yep, I had all these people praying for me, and in the ministry we were in San Diego and the houses downtown and doing chaplaincy work at the hospitals. You know, you walk by faith and not by sight. So as I went into the prison, I was just covered in prayer and confident that, you know, he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. So when I went into prison, met with the first guy I met with, I went back. The following weeks, I kept going back, kept going back. And then finally, at the after about seven times, I had about 50 to 60 men, Americans, at a, at a table. And I'm preaching. I'm up on the table. I'm preaching. And it got the attention of the, man, of the captain who brought me upstairs. I'm thinking, oh, boy, I'm going to be late for dinner, honey. But what it turned out <laughs> is that the— that the director of the prison gave me a badge, took my picture, gave me an ID, took me downstairs to a big room. He said to me, he says, you be the chaplain to the Americans here. And I looked up to God and I said, well, I guess I have a ministry. I mean, it truly was that way, and that was 25 years ago. I mean, it was a matter of that. From the standpoint of the prison with the men and women and the children inside that prison, you know, uh, the Mesa prison ministry uh, really had a a time when It was needed for somebody to step up and lead. And because of my business background and my my doctorate in organizational systems, working government, social services, and churches together was part of what I do. So I brought together the churches, the government, making it it took us seven years. We were able to make the change inside of, of, of that prison and move the women and the children out, clean it up. Rebuild it with donations from churches, the business, and the government to implement our practical theology education series inside La Mesa prison. That was in 2004. It became the model prison in Mexico. Hello. One of the videos we show when we go out and I speak at different conferences is from CBS A&E Investigative Reporting. They did a nationally televised program on our work that we did inside that prison. Well, leaving oh, yeah, that and all that, that caught the, that caught the ear of other countries. Dominican Republic heard about what we were doing and invited us out to begin our work there in 2007, which we then sold our house, cashed in, and went and lived out in Dominican Republic, established our programs out there. Now we're in nine prisons in Dominican Republic. We're in Puerto Rico with prison ministries. We've been in Panama, and now we're out to Chile. So from that experience of going in and being just saying, yes, Lord, in the midst of trials, in the midst of problems, and Everybody would say, you can't do that. We trusted God, and we went forward with that, and that's where we're at today.
3: Well, wow. it's amazing how God prepared you through your earlier life, through your business training, through being in prison yourself to have the knowledge, to have the preparation and the spiritual equipment to be able to do this work. God works in mysterious
4: ways, doesn't
3: he? Yes, he does, and he prepares us to do our work that he's cut yes, out he for does. us So our next thing we want to talk about is, you know, how has your work been impacted by this COVID shutdown? And, you know, we've all been frustrated. And I know you have hearing from Michelle, your sister, and and from talking to you. And, you know, it's just been frustrating that we can't travel as easily. We can't hold church services. You know, what, yeah, well, what are your thoughts about, about how we can cope with this and how we can encourage our pastors? What should we be doing during this time? Well, first
4: of all, it is, it, you know, from the standpoint of my role as the, as the president of, of Moat Missions, and, and as I said, you know, my board of directors, we, we have to set that example. And so we set that example in the ministries out there in Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, and all the different countries doing conferences and workshops and leadership training, equipping our leaders and our midst to be bold and courageous because we're working in international prisons. We also do children's programs. We do children's programs and we do prison ministry. And so you've got to be bold. You've got to be courageous. And so that is something that we've instilled into our leadership and in the prisons out in the Dominican Republic and all the different areas, right? They're still going in because you've got a good reputation so important for us to be good examples in the community. Really, mm-hmm. That's that's huge. So in that respect, right, the governments know that our teams are, are trustworthy, and we go and do our work. They've allowed us to go into the prisons during this COVID-19 thing. Ah.
2: So, Chappie, no than, I, I, have a, I want to interject a question related. Yeah. What yeah. are your thoughts on how pastors, including pastors here in the United States, how should pastors respond biblically during this prolonged lo- prolonged lockdown, we have on our churches.
4: Well, you know, we have to be aware of the fact that it's true that we have two roles. One, we are we're we're biblical, we're Christian. Our first our, uh, relationship is with God and His role, right? That's that's of primary. Course. We have to be first of all, you know, biblical citizens first. Secondary is our relationship to the government, and that is important too. You know, it, it, uh, it, it is just something that we have to obey the law. We cannot be anarchists or that type of thing. Yet, when government steps over the line and goes against God's law, that's when man, Christian, we men, women, we have to take and obey God, not the government. This is an issue. It's a very important issue. There's plenty of writing in Peter, 1 Peter, and all the different messages about obeying the government. Absolutely. I do not say we, we don't go against it. It's that when the God's When the government says you cannot pray, you cannot sing, you cannot gather, that's when you cross the line. That's when you cross the line. And it's one of those areas where the boldness of our leaders need to be standing forward and saying we must meet. So if it's house churches we have to go to, if that's God's plan for us to go to house churches because we can't meet in the big buildings, then so be it. That's what we've got to do. The gathering of the saints must take place to stay united so that we can be the light in community. We are not to be afraid. Fear has no place in a Christian's life. We walk by faith and not by sight. Our calling is to go make disciples. Ours is to be outside the the walls. We need to be out in community and praying over people six feet away. If that's required, put your hands up and pray for people. We've got to be the light. We've got to look at people and say, look, do you need a pair of shoes? Do you need some help? Do you need some food? Can I help you push the cart? In other words, we've got to be proactive in loving, respecting people's positions. Absolutely. But we cannot walk by fear. That is not acceptable.
2: Yeah, you know, Chappie, Absolutely. we were very inspired, Kathleen and I, by a church, a house church service that you conducted a couple or so weeks ago. You did it, Chappie did it under the shade of a big pine tree in your sister's driveway. And we had singing. We partook of communion, we had great fellowship, and we had a sermon. It was great. Question is, what role, t- tell a little more about what role you think house churches might play in this environment, because a lot of churches, as you know, if they are meeting, it's only over Zoom, and over Zoom, there's only so much you can do, right?
4: That's correct. Look, we got to go back to James 1, You know, pure religion, according to God the Father, is what? Care for orphans and widows in their time of need. Hello? So in our house church, let's go back to the first century, the Pentecost. Look, Rome was a big deal, and it was tough, and there were diseases. People had malaria. They had diseases way more than COVID, excuse me. So how did the church grow? It was the small churches, you know, in our theological training. I'm not going to go into all that stuff, but bottom line is that the churches were small churches, and they were all over the place. There were 10, 15, 20 in in a block, and then another block, another block, another block. You know, in Dominican Republic, that's where it's going on right now. Lots of little home churches all over, and they're taking care of, grandmas are being taken care of, the kids are being fed. They are working together, and I believe that in the the plan, eschatologically speaking, that the American church has been pretty complacent over the years. We've had it good. God's doing a good work, and he always does good work by putting us through the fire. So this is going to be, I believe, a movement for house churches all over so that we can care for the needs of others. But we need to be united. We need to be together. There's no question that we must stand firm and meet and encourage each other. Using our gifts to bless others, being others-focused, that's a primary issue.
2: Thanks so much, because we need that kind of encouragement. I think uh, some of us, we've been... We've been attending churches, in some cases, live when we find those few that are meeting live and even in some cases indoors. But many of us, and I'm talking to a lot of people, many of us are frankly getting tired of only the Zoom meetings. People are putting in great efforts, but it's we're missing a lot. And so your your encouragement is, is greatly needed.
4: Well, the Bible tells us, do not... You know, don't not meet together. That's a biblical principle. We need to encourage each other. We need to edify each other. We need to be physically in. We need to be meeting. This is not acceptable. You know, you and I, we all know on the bigger picture what's going on in the world. The persecuted church, Christianity is the most persecuted, any, it's the most persecuted in the world today. We've had it good here in America. It's going to change in America. We need to be bonded together, and we need to be strong warriors for Christ but we need the leadership to be speaking that and encouraging these people to be the light, to be the feet, to be the hands of Jesus Christ. That's our commission. We must go and look at it, not today. we got to say, that's what we have to do in the future. we got to do it now.
3: Absolutely. And we need to listen to the Spirit. We need to be listening to that voice that's telling us, meet with your neighbors, organize a house church, Amen. Uh, Amen. encourage your leaders. We need to be doing whatever we can do to be able to meet together and to pray with each other, to sing. And I loved playing the piano out on the patio. So we've talked about your testimony, Chappie. We've talked about your amazing work in the prisons, Mm. how we need to keep worshiping, your life story. It's been so fascinating. We need to keep on supporting ministries like Missions on the Edge Mm-hmm. And if people want to support your Moat Prison Ministry, how can they contact you?
4: Well, they can through moatmission.org or to our website or to me, Dr. DR, period, D A V E, Walden at gmail.com. Uh, they can certainly do it on the website and what have you with our, our, our website at motemission.org. Or join me on a mission trip in 2021. We're going, into, we're going to do a lot of mission trips out to Dominican Republic, and if you want to do something on the edge is to go with me into those nine prisons in Dominican Republic. It's a tremendous experience and a real opener for people. So churches, leaders, I'd love to come and speak. If I can speak at your church or whatever, I'd be glad to do that. That will help us continue our good work in the, nine, in the six countries we're in right now.
3: Wow. Well, thank you so much for blessing us today. Come on our show again, will you? I hope you do. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. To bless your neighbor this week, consider contacting your own pastor, priest, or worship leader. Ask them to resume normal worship services or organize house churches or do one yourself or just ask how you can help. By encouraging leaders, you help give courage to many. Till next week.
1: Joining us for Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Join us next week at this same time as Kathleen Melanakis, author and retired registered nurse, and her husband, Brian Melanakis, former company president, explore the deeper issues and spiritual forces behind the news, and how we as believers can be salt and light in our culture and in the political arena. Biblical Citizen Let's Roll seeks to educate and activate Christians at the grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Next week, we will cover more major news happening from the view of the Biblical Citizen. To learn more about this show, how to become a guest or sponsor, send an email to biblicalcitizen at gmail.com. That's biblicalcitizen at gmail.com. This has been Biblical Citizen Let's Roll on K Praise